First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of NFP, the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, combining local expertise with access to global capabilities and solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. I've been an automobile enthusiast and a vintage racer. It comes from my love of driving. I've always, since 12, 14 years old and was able to reach the pedals, have just loved the joy of driving. For Indianapolis businessman Turner Woodard, the key word is joy, whether it's his love affair with the automobile or his passion for painting. The joy and the spontaneity to it. The um, action, the um, nothing being quite definitive. You see something at one glance and you can turn around at another glance, you might see something different. You may not think driving old cars and painting abstract art go hand in hand, but they're a perfect match in Turner Woodard's world. It gives insight into what makes him tick, what drives him to buy, renovate, and bring new life to vintage Indiana landmarks. Get to know Indianapolis entrepreneur Turner Woodard, why and how he does it his way on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Turner Woodard made his first big splash in central Indiana real estate in the early 90s when he bought the historic Stutz Automobile Factory on the near north side of downtown Indy. He turned it into something unheard of back then, a small business incubator, one of the first in the country. After that, he purchased and renovated another historic building, the Canterbury Hotel in downtown Indy. He has since sold both properties and is now focused on breathing new life into the Horton Fan Factory in Carmel, among other properties. His approach to real estate, buy it, light it, clean it, paint it, and lease it. Ultimately, it will be a pretty cool place. And I'm pleased to be joined by a pretty cool guy, Turner Woodard, on this edition of the Business Hand Beyond podcast. Turner, how are you? I'm fine, Gary. I'm fine. And thank you for the opportunity and always nice to visit with you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so, you know, I was thinking about how to get into our our conversation here. And, and, you know, you are an entrepreneur, you're an investor, a car collector, motorsports nut, an artist. How would you, if you, if you had a, a, a word to describe Turner Wood, what would it be? Oh, my gosh, Gary. That's <laughs> putting me on the spot. Um, yeah. I mean, you do, you're into so many things. And I think you've always struck me as someone who's so passionate about really everything you do. And that's nice of you to say. And, you know, sometimes, Gary, I just leave those um, uh, identification or those thoughts to others rather than myself. But I think perhaps, you know, what I enjoy, I just try to bring a spirit, a spirit to it. I take quite a few traits from my mother and that was um, always staying active. You know, some of the things that um, such as, as the art or the 
cars um, is just a spirit that I have uh, about the joy of, you know, everybody does something. Yeah. And those are some of the things that I do. Yeah. And, and, and you, I think you have a real appreciation for history and heritage. Because I think back to your, your acquisition of what you did with, with the Stutz near downtown Indy. And when you bought that, when that started, I mean, that was, that was quite an undertaking. I mean, that was a, that was a, a unique project to say the least. And you really turned it, I think, turned it into something not only unique, but very, very special. Talk about that because that really gets back, obviously the Stutz to the history and the heritage of the auto industry in, in Indianapolis. Well, it does. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about it before and it's been a wonderful project for, for many, many reasons. Generally, Gary, it came from just not wanting the um, the building uh, to be uh, torn down and demolished. Uh, uh, we were involved, our family was involved with historic landmarks and uh, Reed Williamson was there at the time. And uh, Reed and I played tennis together for many years and he made me aware that uh, a demolition permit had been pulled for the Stutz factory. And Turner, would you like to look at it? Can you, you know, give me some ideas and thoughts about it? And certainly driven by it for many, many years. And then when he invited me to come inside and look around, you know, the, the whole thing certainly uh, grew that it absolutely should not come down. Yeah. And so from there, we just work with different groups. And at the end of the day, <laughs> that group to take it over was, was my company. Yeah. And it was very, very special. We'll talk for those who, who aren't familiar with the Stutz, and we're fortunate to have a lot of listeners from around the country, around the globe, really. Give, give us a real, just a thumbnail description of the Stutz, how the, the, you know, the massive nature of that building, uh, what it once was. Yeah, built and uh, started being built in 1903, finished in 1912. One of many automobile factories that uh, were called Indianapolis home, about 500,000 square feet, a full city block, a city and a half block, and uh, just a wonderful uh, reflection of those times. And um, as you mentioned, you know, then how do you, um, you know, adapt it for uh, more um, modern times? And that was the challenge, but it was a, a pretty massive undertaking at that point. Yeah. Well, well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was part of Indianapolis's reputation at the time, you know, before Detroit, right? Wasn't Indianapolis, it was like little Detroit, right? I mean, I, I mean it, Indianapolis was the center of of uh, sure, the automotive industry. Gary, it sure was. And, you know, not a lot of people know that, but absolutely. I had a large map of the state of Indiana that and the state museum gave to me um, after one of their exhibits. And yes, I think there were, you know, 10 or 11 just in the Indianapolis area, maybe like 50 or 60 throughout the state. And, you know, the vibrancy of that business, you know, um, around the turn of the century um, was special. Some of the best minds, the best engineers were all in Indianapolis and um, in Indiana. Yeah. The um, um, assembly line and the ability to have get parts and everything quickly 
that's what changed it to Detroit. Yeah. In that building, I was fortunate to, to be through it, you know, several times. Just an interesting mix of things uh, in there. Obviously, there were ongoing businesses. Uh, it was a great location for businesses to shut up, uh, set up shop, uh, be they startups or, or more more mature businesses. But there, it also reflected your interests as well. And, and you know, keeping on that that car theme, you are an avid car collector. I don't know how to describe your your car collection. You really have to see it to. To appreciate it, talk about your 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 collection of automobiles because it's unbelievable. Yeah, well, thank you, Gary. And yeah, it's been eclectic as a word, and uh, um, but absolutely, it, it really my car collecting and people that know me it, it came from the the my love of driving. You know, I just have always enjoyed driving automobiles or trucks or tractors, and our family farm down in Kentucky. I started driving with the workman, you know, 12, 14 years old and just loved it. And so from there, the freedom, the spirit, the wind in your hair type of thing, that's what led to the car collecting. Yeah. And every one of my cars, truly, I think your listeners would enjoy, you know, come from some memory or some um, uh, relation to my uh, family or to my life. I have a Mustang, you know, that my dad took me to school in. Uh-huh. Uh, I have uh, a couple other cars that, you know, when I was going to shows and starting my career, these men were influential. And one of them started in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Ferrari Club of America. That people don't know was started there. And so kind of an ode to these memories. Yeah, well, talk about, you may have multiple favorites, but do you have a favorite? It's got to be, it's probably like, you know, asking a father to pick a favorite kid, you know, but but how, do you have a favorite car? Oh, Gary, you imagine how many times I do get asked that, <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, it, it's a wonderful discussion and you're right with your comment, Ralph Lauren talks about his cars and just like that is your children. You know, it's hard to pick. And I, I add to it a little bit that depending on uh, either the mood or the occasion, you know, which one best suits. I have a wonderful 46 Lincoln uh, town car. So wow. we call that our ice cream car. <laughs> you know, a couple of the sports cars, you know, when it's a beautiful Saturday or Sunday, that goes for an, an, another a reason. Um, I have a Rolls Royce that um, I bought uh, to drive my parents, you know, um, from the church in and have kept it all those years. So they're all quite special. But, you know, the Stutzes are um, very special to me, remembering when I could afford to buy some and display them at the factory. So I bought one car a year, Gary, for about 30 years. Wow. So there, there you have it. Wow. How many total, how many cars do you have in your collection? Oh, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I know how many I insure. And I know <laughs> right. I don't have to fuss with, you know, somewhere in that 30 or 40 range. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very, very cool. You know, art obviously is another passion of yours and, and you displayed your art there, but you, as I recall over time in the studs, you really opened up the building to, to artists, right, uh, in the community to to display their work. 
I did. I did. Again, another nice memory. And, you know, how your listeners might like that, you know, as I took it on as a very unique sort of daring at the time real estate project. And what would happen would, you know, we had about 12, 15,000 square feet per floor. You know, I'd rent out most of the floor, but there might be a corner or a, you know, a middle ground that would have 900 square feet or 1,200 square feet. And some of the artists, friends that I knew, you know, would just love to have that space. And so then that would, I would, I could tell it or rent it to them at a, you know, a, a discounted, and then that would fill out the floor. And Gary, that just snowballed. Yeah. And so it, it worked, you know, it was a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah. And a great way to showcase the artistic community in Indianapolis, central Indiana, which many times, you know, I think the arts and culture community get overlooked uh, in a lot of ways and, and under, I don't know what the term would be, but uh, underappreciated maybe because it is really strong. And that, that gave the opportunity to showcase some of that. Gary, no doubt about it. And it, 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 the spirit that the artists and the art community brought to a business center Again, I know you understand, uh, you, you know, you sort of you couldn't really buy that kind of spirit and that kind of enthusiasm. The, the technology companies that were there, the craftsmen that were there, all benefited from the spirit that this mix uh, of, of the Stutz family was very special. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. And you sold uh, here within the last year or two, you sold the Stutz. Was it just time? Well, maybe an offer I couldn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Gary, I, I think that certainly was part of it. You know, we were taken on and um, a plan to what would the next 50 years of the stuff look like. That was exactly the, the plan and the model and the same sort of thing that happened at the Canterbury. You know, we were looking to renovate and to bring in new technologies and um, as that unfolded, we reached out to different partners. And in both of the cases, well, why don't you sell, sell us the factory? Well, it's not for sale. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> right. not for sale. But as fate would have it and things unfolded, we thought we found a, a very special a partner in these Samara Road guys. And my family's kept an interest in the factory. And the uh, promises to uh, appreciate the history and the integrity and what it means to Indianapolis, but, you know, bring it in um, into the kind of more modern uh, world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another yeah. property. Yeah. And you mentioned it, the Canterbury uh, Hotel, historic property, boutique hotel uh, in downtown uh, Indianapolis, which you acquired. Uh, talk about that, that acquisition and, and that experience uh, of owning Canterbury. Again. Very special. Not exactly sure that, um, you know, I wanted to be in the hotel business. But then when my family and I, we looked at it and uh, broke it down, uh, really the kind of real estate business it, it was. Um, and some of the owners uh, had been out of Chicago and started ownership was uh, changing and family members were not as enthused about it being from afar. And the Super Bowl was coming. And so, you know, the word went out, 
Gary, much like the studs that, you know, who can help with this pretty unique property that had to be appreciated, probably not completely for its profitability um, standpoint, but from, you know, a couple other uh, points of view. And um, I bought it. Yeah. I bought it. We had it. Uh, I bought it in 2011. Super Bowl was coming in 2012. And that was a pretty fun, um, incredible year, uh, year and a half going through all those motions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now let's keep it on the real estate and kind of wrap up the real estate uh, piece here. Uh, you're you're developing some properties, uh, right? Redeveloping some properties, primarily in Carmel. Talk about those those acquisitions. What you're what you're doing in in Carmel? Well, again, thanks, and I you know, I hope your listeners appreciate it. And again, sort of when we talked about the spirit, you know, these uh, selling uh, both of these properties, but of course with the studs and getting involved in 1031 exchanges and all the sort of capital gains issues, it was very, very interesting, somewhat challenging. And uh, as we looked around the city, I looked around the suburbs, I'll be gosh darn if Carmel, Indiana didn't end up having three properties that we ended up closing on. We had looked from Greenfield to Green Castle, Greenwood, but we looked at 50 different properties that fit all in that 1031 time frame. And gosh darn, um, my office is now in Carmel. Uh, part of the car collection is in Carmel. And very special up here, I have to say. Yeah, growth. Give you a quick thumbnail because Indianapolis, Indy, certainly, and downtown has changed over the years. But if you look at, well, in particular, Hamilton County, if you look at Carmel and and Westfield and Noblesville and Fishers, it's unbelievable the dramatic change that you talk about Carmel there. It's it's just changed so dramatically over the last decade. It it, it absolutely has. I mean. Um, the rich furniture building where we're sitting now. Uh, I came up here about 27 years ago to to buy some lamps that would coordinate with my offices down at the Stutz. And I came to this rich building, absolutely true story. And I just thought, well, this is quite a unique little building. Fast forward, now I own it. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, it just simply played out that way. I, I think it surprised many. I still have several, you know, properties in Indianapolis. I live in Indianapolis. I kept my studio in my Stutz 2 building. And uh, the new owners of the Stutz are building a wonderful uh, museum for all my Stutzes. And Gary, throughout that sale, it was quite interesting that it became clear that the uh, my Stutz automobiles um, needed to stay at the Stutz factory. We worked that out. Very pleased about that. Yeah. But a little shocked to, to be in Carmel. Yeah. And I say that to the mayor and he says, well, why are you shocked? <laughs> uh, well, just because my car didn't go past um, 96th or 106th Street for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a it is it is quite special being up. Yeah, there. yeah. 
much more with Turner Woodard uh, when we return, including Turner, the racer, the race car driver. Uh, we'll get in a little bit more to uh, growing up the younger years and then maybe what's next as well when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of National Financial Partners, the fifth largest insurance broker and consultant in the world. Develop your total reward strategies all in one place with the combination of First Person's local expertise and NFP's global resources and integrated solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is uh, Indianapolis entrepreneur and eclectic uh, guy indeed, Mr. Turner Woodard. And Turner, uh, so much we can talk about. We covered a lot of ground in the first half of the podcast, but talk about the the young years growing up because you're an Indy native, you're an Indy guy. Talk about uh, growing up here in Indianapolis. Well, it was just like, so many that you talk to and interview, whether they're natives or whether they come here for whatever their reasons, their businesses, easy, comfortable, enjoyable. You could go on and on. And I get asked all the time, as certainly as you know, we go through these stages that Turner, you could live anywhere. You know, you could live anywhere, yet you choose to live in Indiana and in Indianapolis. And I say, yes, I do, whether it's the business climate, whether it's the kindness of Hoosier hospitality, absolute true. And um, we did. We Our family had businesses and property in uh, western Kentucky in my early years. So I would go back and forth. And that's, I think, as I mentioned, where some of the joy of driving trucks and yeah. equipment came from and uh, um but yes grew up here went to I went to high school here and then went off to Colorado to college before to my parents dismay I uh, I dropped out to uh, attend a motor racing school in southern california very good so that's the motorsports connection right there that's where it began huh it is and Again, I think, you know, you interview entrepreneurs of all types. And, you know, if I've ever had one thing, it's been <clears throat> the joy of trying to pursue, you know, my my passions or pursue, you know, my goals. And uh, um, I'd applied to this motor racing school that had just cropped up from England. Because in those days, if you wanted to pursue a, a motorsports career, you know, it was kind of lengthy and you really had to sort of go through a lot of bumps and bruises. Yet with the schools that came up, you could um, get some real teaching and some track time that would foster and speed up that situation. Mm-hmm. And in those years, you had to be 21 years old to get um, a motor racing license. Mm-hmm. Now, either I think it's 16 or 15. I applied to the school and I had gotten uh, sort of turned down. And then about two months later, I got a letter that there was an opening. And by the way, Steve McQueen 
was going to be attending the school. Oh, wow. I'd be a guest instructor. So I then really put the pressure on and, and, yeah. and that's how that began. Yeah. Well, how, how long did the school go? What was the, what was the driving school like? Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. And, you know, trying and texting and, and in those days, maybe your listeners would like, you know, most things around, certainly around Indiana and the Midwest were um, midget racing cars or sprint cars and ovals and dirt tracks. But the advent of the rear engine racing car had come with Jim Clark and Dan Gurney. So that was my focus was to learn the techniques and what was involved in rear engine cars. And, and that I did. Yeah. Did, did you have a dream to, to race at Indy ultimately? Was that as you look at, you know, what you yes. were thinking about? Yes. Yes. I, 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 um, I did. I, I did. I think, you know, growing up here around and being, um, you know, enjoying motor cars and all that. Sure. You know, I, I did. And I got a USAC license and uh, was really fascinated by the sports cars. But, you know, if you had a place that sort of, you know, make an imprint coming to Indy was the time and the place. Yet, um, as it turned out, you know, the money just uh, was uh, was tough to come by mm-hmm. in those days. And we had money raised through a group of investors here in town, mostly because they knew I was, you know, searching, you know, I was going after my goals and my dreams. And I think they respected that. At the end, um, we had a car that we were purchasing from Dan Gurney, and Andy Granatelli bought the car out from us, and so I then focused on sports cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk about your sports car career because you you raced a lot. Talk about give us a kind of a thumbnail look at at your uh, your racing activity because you uh, you were really into it, right? Well, I was. I was probably more into it than I was talented. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I raced solidly as my parents would say, you know, I, I tried to make my living for about 10 years doing that. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It takes engineering, it takes business skills, sales skills, but I was able to, you know, to craft it for about 10 years. And then my parents said, I'd go get a real job. Yeah. <laughs> and, gotcha. um, um, had a child on the way and the travel was tough and you know I was probably a B racer but you know you got to be better than that yeah yeah who uh, I, I sense your parents obviously were big influence who's the biggest were they the biggest influence on you because uh, as I look at you and I think about all of the different things you do it's really an interesting mix who, who's the biggest influence on you uh, in terms of how your career has, has panned out? Well, Gary, that is a wonderful question. I, yes, I, you know, there were three, four, five men in my life that, yes, absolutely did um, help and spark me, both and all from different sizes. You know, my, my dad, Hal Woodard, was a patent attorney here in town. So that brought a certain set of skills of being very precise and organized. You know, my father was 
kind of a free, very much a free spirit. And uh, another man in my life was a man named Guernsey Van Riper, who was in the advertising and marketing business. And Caldwell Van Riper, I assume, right? Uh-oh. Correct, Gary, correct. And um, Herb Levinson, these were all men <clears throat> that, uh, you know, took a liking to me and improved or encouraged me to seek my spirit. Don't yeah. deny my spirit and things that I wanted to do. And I remember that to this day. And I, I appreciate that in um, all kinds of people. As you, as you look and you see you interact with entrepreneurs, uh, but as you see young entrepreneurs, I always find it interesting to get perspective from people who have been uh, successful in business. What, what's your, uh, you talk about seeking your, your your passion, your dreams, those types of things. Is there a, an ad, you know, set advice that you give to, to young aspiring business people or entrepreneurs? What's the most important thing they should keep in mind as they're, they're starting their careers? Well, I know that's important to you and your show and what you do. And it is. It's just, it's damn important. And I think for me, it is that. It just is that to, you know, what, uh, you know, what all of us are so individual and what makes you tick. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're going to be a computer programmer, you're going to be an artist, or you're going to try and put all those things together. It's, um, I know I talk sometimes to, to, different schools and different groups and be yourself, find what is your joy and by gosh, you know, go for it. Yeah. And in business, you know, certainly you have to craft that with profitability and, you know, managing your risks, but you do, you just put all those together. You know, if I've achieved and I've enjoyed my success and gear I've enjoyed the way I've been able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you before we wrap up leading light. I mean, you've done again, so many things in the entrepreneurial space. Talk about that because that, that uh, envelops your, your passion for racing, but a really interesting concept, uh, this leading light uh, technology. I think you got a patent on it. What's, what's it all about? I do. Well, again, I think one of our, my lines in it is um, a simple idea for a very complicated sporting endeavor. You know, the, the more I talk about it and I get it, get the idea out there, people just, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Especially if you're sort of an amateur motorsports fan. And But more times than not, I've heard it. I, you know, my son and I engage in talking about it, that who's leading this race when the pit stops start happening and the changes you find yourself glued to the timing and scoring towers sometimes more than you do to the you know wonderful racing action so i just researched it and and found this patent available from a man in noblesville indiana of all places we worked out a deal where perhaps with you know some capital we could move forward and try and bring um, the ease of following a race, quite simply, to the fans. Yeah. And I think sometimes, Gary, that's overlooked in, in our sport. Yeah. The fans are the key, and this should make it so much more enjoyable. 
for the fans to not have to work it. Who's leading this race or who's in third? Yeah, right. So where is it now? I mean, are, are you still developing? Is it out there? Where, 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 where are things? We are, in, we are in the development stages. We're going to use this summer, perhaps through the um, Indy Lights series and or the um, Kenyan Midget series. The technology is there now with these LED lights and with the ability to talk to the timing and scoring towers. We've just got to figure out a way how to accurately light the lights. Yeah, and gotcha. So we thought we'd use this summer to uh, work through those series and, and see if we can. I call it perfecting the widget. <laughs> very good, very good. So that's that's one thing that's going to keep you busy. What else is you looked at, at what's next, Turner? You've got the properties you're uh, you're working on there in Carmel, uh, the leading light project as well. What's what's uh, kind of Kind of next on the agenda agenda for Turner Woodard. Well, that's nice that you ask. And sort of my life plan or some of my life plan and business plan certainly calls for being in my studio a bit more than uh, than I've been able to. And I, I certainly hope to do that and uh, perhaps have a one-man show um, at wow. one of the galleries uh, this fall. And I don't know whether you knew, some of your listeners may, but I also was able to participate with uh, Sarah Fisher and Andy O'Gara. And uh, I bought uh, their go-karting building. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. As part of the 1031 project. And that's a real joy to uh, engage with these wonderful young up-and-coming stars, not only in the motorsports field, but in the business world. Yeah. and, And, you know, it's amazing to me that's a great part of what is a great story in Speedway. That I mean, you talk about a transformation in that town. It's 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 been neat to see. Absolutely, Gary. Absolutely, the, the story might not have been told ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, um, Ron Fisher and many many of the city council there in Speedway. Uh, again, you know it. It's just a wonderful re- rebirth. Yeah, and um, I'm glad to be a little part of that. Yeah. Hey, hey, before we, we, we sign off here, I do want to ask you because I didn't get into it. You mentioned being in the studio, you are an accomplished artist. So you want to, you want to spend more, more time and uh, produce a little more art, right? Well, I do. I do. I, it is wonderful joy for me. And Gary, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm an artist, I'm a painter. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure about the artist part, but I'll let others decide that. But yes, I have been, painting and trying to nurture that side of me ever since I would sneak out a Latin class. Uh, but it still is kind of a hit and miss um, project. So as we push to sort of get a collection of my work and get them all in one spot, that's going to take, um, that'll take some doing, but I'm, yeah. I'm up for it. That's good. We'll look forward to uh, seeing that as well. Turner Woodard, it has been a real joy as always to catch up with you. Entrepreneur, investor, car collector, artist. You can go on down the list. A real uh, driver here in Indianapolis. Thanks for all you do for Indianapolis and for Indiana as well. And again, thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome, Gary. You're very welcome. Always uh, a joy to visit and I appreciate it. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. 
And you can catch all of our previous episodes as well as Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.